Okay, guys. So the last episode was a total mind-bending ramble, and I'm not going to subject you to it, so I'm going to create a new episode for today for my peeps to listen to. The other one was for me, is my therapy session. And it's really horrible to just go over and over things in your head. So, yeah, I mean, this whole undecidability thing and the theory of languages and all of that is just some crazy stuff um, that keeps you up at night. And uh, we have to also consider the human side of things. Where if there's no no one there to attack you on something, then I mean these guys are building these uh, these humongous theories in the sky, and then some comes along and destroys them like Godel. And, um, yeah, I've been reading about how you can prevent, um, unbound set sets and the type of statements that, uh, cause these problems, um, by just eliminating them in your definition and people have been working after Gödel for many years to create uh, some kind of set theory or some kind of mathematical theory that removes some of the insecurities. There's a whole field of study that needs to be uh, looked at. So. already 6.30, can you believe it? Yeah. So I started to roll up um, on my... Uh, I started to roll back and go back and listen to some of the old episodes of the New Books Network, and I found this guy who wrote this book called Beyond Woke. And he talks about how he was a Marxist. And he got into communism and Marxism um, for the purposes of freedom. And then realized that there was no freedom, that he was entering into a totalitarianism. And then he turned on them and told his story. And I think it's an interesting story. And I actually found two podcasts on this. One is the uh, Tom Woods 
and one is the uh, new books because I was just researching into a Marxism in my list of podcasts and I'm adding in more leftist material um, so we can get a better understanding of how the collective will exploit the individual for the destruction of the enemy which is America and individual freedom which it considers the foundation of exploitation the freedom to exploit and the freedom of what it calls fascism so in the end you're going to have to either accept the fascists exploiting the ma- the worker or accept the collective exploiting the worker it's like choose your poison um yeah so let's uh let's listen to that and get away from the whole good old Escher Bach for a little bit, because I know I gotta give my peeps something to listen to, but I do see that we had six listens on the theory of exploitation, which was quite interesting. I wonder how many people actually listened to it. Um, but today, this show will be more entertaining, because I know my dad is gonna call me up and say, I didn't understand any of that, what you're talking about, but I was listening to the crickets. Yeah, dad, I love you too. <laughs> so um let's uh let's cue this up. Okay. So this clip here is from I went back and looked through my podcasts for the name Reichenwald or Reichenwald and um I looked uh, and saw if I could find an episode, the oldest episode with him, and it turns out he's on Tom Wood's show talking about <laughs> doing a book contract before um, even his book comes out. And then he's also on the podcast of the guy who interviews him on the New Books Network as well. So we have about six podcasts on this guy to go through, but I'm just going to go back to the origin story of him and how this all got kicked off and where he's basically losing his religion. And <clears throat> I think this can tie into our question of the paradox and tie into the question of the of the <laughs> of the girdle to go back to what we've been talking about for the past 2 days where you have a system of thought that gets overthrown by some new input and then overthrown again and he's going to go back and forth I think between is it true or not true is it true the government is lying to me is it true the communists will save the world is it true um, you know the university is lying to me right and he's going to go through these iterations of belief and then um, rejection 
And I think a lot of, you know, leftism, having a heart, they say if you're not a communist when you're under 30, then you don't have a heart. And if you're not a conservative when you're over 30, you don't have a brain. I think a lot of this is really having a heart, having sympathy for people, right? And looking for alternatives and then rejecting those alternatives. Um, as being exploitative. So I think the theory of exploitation and the paradox is all going to uh, tie in here. So, you know, I think there's definitely um, some parallels, but uh, let's just cue this uh, tape. I am joined by Professor Michael Rechtenwald, of New York University, who caused a bit of a a bit of controversy, let's say, not long ago when he created a Twitter account that at first was not associated with his name, in which he took to Twitter to mock the social justice warriors and the general atmosphere on college campuses, including his own, in which the students have safe spaces and People are afraid to express their views because of the totalitarians on campus. So he was just tired of it. And he's not even on the right. He's just a regular professor, and he was tired of this behavior. And, well, when they found out who it was, let's just say a lot of interesting events ensued after that. So Michael Rechtenwald is a professor of liberal studies at NYU. His areas of interest are history and philosophy of science, secularism, science and literature, and others. He's the author of numerous books, including in 2016, 19th Century British Secularism, Science, Religion, and Literature. He holds a Ph.D. in Literary and Cultural Studies from Carnegie Mellon University. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate you having me. This is a great story here, and as we were saying just before we went on, I think professors like you have got a great book contract that could be lined up with somebody uh, for this because I think people are – yeah, people got impatient with political correctness years ago. But on the campuses, it's vastly worse than it used to be. And I mean I, I graduated from college in 94 and it was pretty annoying but it wasn't to the point – where it is now, where it's you've got these the, the students who are being coddled, the faculty who should know better, who are encouraging this behind the scenes, and there really is a chill over speech that I didn't really feel as a college student. I mean, I think we were exaggerating in the uh, early 1990s, but I think it's real now. Oh, yeah. First of all, t tell me about your background. You don't identify as a right-winger, and you're not a Milo Yiannopoulos. Not at all. I'm, I'm uh, you know, my background, if you want to know my political background, I mean, uh, I've gone from basically a liberal activist at one point in, in the uh, around 2000 to being more left and, uh, you know, being a leftist of late. And then uh, with this whole crisis that I've undergone here, uh, you know, I'm rethinking everything, to be frank with you. Wow. Wow. That's a really, really honest response. Yeah. It's very rare to hear somebody say, maybe I'm rethinking something. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I wish the people would say on Facebook and everywhere else that I don't know. How about that? Uh, so yeah. I'm sort of agnostic with reference to my own politics at this juncture. But I will say I know who my enemies are and they're not 
exactly the people that I thought they were. Okay, so here's the story of how he created his Twitter account, what happened to him, where he was basically rounded up and forced to take medical leave um, for his statements after he was interviewed. And he said there's a Stalinist attack group at the university. You know, and uh, one more thing that's interesting is that um, when I upload the podcast, immediately I have one listen. So it looks like someone's automatically downloading my podcast. So um, it shows up as a listen. So that's weird, huh? Maybe people aren't actually listening. Maybe they're just automatically downloading. But anyway, thanks for downloading. Yeah, so this attack group is coming after him. I'm going to play a lot of this story because it's quite interesting. First thing I did on Twitter was after a certain episode took place, I decided to create a handle called Anti-PCNYU-Prof. That's the, that's the name, uh, the strict name of it, at Anti-PCNYU-Prof. Uh, I used a, a Nietzsche uh, icon as the uh, face for this, and I said exposing, anti, you know, exposing political correctness and the erosion of academic standards in the in uh, blah blah blah, and made some tweets. Um, one of them was about Halloween uh, because they had uh, the students had sent me this thing that they were sent uh, regarding Halloween costumes and to be careful what they wear and so on and so forth. And I, I tweeted about that. I, I just tweeted about some of these phenom, you know, some of these events or this this whole milieu and phenomena of uh, you know social justice warrior PC uh, tribalists that are that have overrun the universities. And um, that are so frightening. And uh, I've made some posts and some a reporter from uh, the NYU uh, student newspaper, Washington Square News, contacted me, said this tweet, uh, my tweets had somehow got her attention, wanted to interview me. I agreed to the interview. After the interview, I decided to put my name on it because what I, I liked what I'd said. I didn't think anything I'd said was that objectionable. Frankly, it was just a, just a different perspective. It's not against diversity or against any uh, peoples per se. It's about a political perspective. And I was roundly attacked. Uh, immediately, a committee in my program penned a letter in response. There was two deans on this committee and several faculty members. Uh, they penned a response to my interview as if I was talking to them, which I wasn't. If they haven't got that message yet, they should get it. I wasn't talking to you. You mean nothing to me. Um, and they roundly condemned me in this in this letter. Meanwhile, I had said in my tweets that I was afraid to come out and, and identify because I thought the PC Gestapo would come after me. And sure enough, they did. Uh, this was a, an official letter from a, an official committee of diversity, inclusion, and something else. Uh, complete misnomer for the, uh, that committee, by the way. It's nothing of the sort. It's a Stalinist or wannabe Stalinist uh, attack group, in effect. Uh, and they proved that through their response to me. I mean, and then I was the same day that that uh, letter came out in the paper re responding to me, I was called into the dean's office. Uh, he said he wanted to speak me with me very shortly. And I got in there and little, t you know, uh, suddenly the, he pops on me that there's a, a, a an NYU uh, human resources person that's going to join us. And I'm not allowed to say that uh, 
anything except that what came out of this washing machine was I was going to have a leave of absence, a medical leave of absence that would begin immediately. Uh, a medical leave of absence because of your mental illness for disagreeing with these people? Or was that was was medical just a cover? Listen, Tom, <laughs> there's lawyers listening to this. Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. I'm sorry. I, I, I heard you the first time. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Carry on. I don't want to get you thrown in jail here. <laughs> Listen to this, Tom. There is no connection between my opinions and my leave of absence. We got that officially on the record. Okay. <laughs> Well, what I, well, what, what I want to know before we get into further into that is you've been a professor at NYU for how many years? Uh, I'm on eight and a half years now. OK, so what have you been observing there that made you as somebody on the left say something's wrong here? I've got to do this. Well, unlike some of my colleagues, apparently, I pay attention to academia at large, not just my immediate environment. You know, I'm reading about what's happening at the. So when I listen to this guy on the uh, leftist book network, the um, New Books Network, he definitely called himself a communist and a Marxist. Now here, he calls himself a leftist. So I guess being a leftist means that you're a communist and a Marxist, if you're talking to people who aren't in the fold. Um, Yeah, it's just an observation. Now he's gonna talk about how social justice warriors are actually creating the alt-right. They're creating what they oppose, which is an interesting theory. Um, Definitely polarizing. Let's see what he has to say. I'm on eight and a half years now. Okay, so what have you been observing there that made you, as somebody on the left, say something's wrong here? I've got to do this. Well, unlike some of my colleagues, apparently, I pay attention to academia at large, not just my immediate environment. You know, I'm reading about what's happening at these other universities. And it's strangely, it's all trickling down from the Ivies and other elites into the general uh, population of universities. And I'm just seeing this craziness going on. Right. I mean, I mean, the stories are myriad. I can't even begin to you know, enumerate them. But uh and then I, there was a cancellation of uh, Milo Yiannopoulos at, at NYU. Uh, there was the institution of a bias reporting line. So I see the encroachment of this SJW ideology into NYU, and I start to get nervous, uh, frankly. Uh, the bias reporting line uh, disturbs me greatly because, to me, this turns the university into what I – you know, what the uh, – Jeremy Bentham called a panopticon, you know, an all seeing, all observing super surveillance system. And uh, that's that's what uh, I I saw this as. And I wanted to say something against it because I don't think it's it's first of all, it has nothing to do with undoing biases or undermining or overthrowing uh, prejudice or racism or sexism or homophobia or transphobia. No, it, it will do nothing of the sort. This is simply a way of locating and controlling individuals who may be aberrant and then punishing them and making the whole system feel better about itself that it's doing so. But it has no effect on racism at large. As a matter of fact, it produces its opposite. I've said this several times. The alt-right is really a reaction to this lunacy and they're just producing what they exactly oppose. So you- uh, I'm on eight and a half years now. 
Okay, so what have you been observing there that made you, as somebody on the left, say something's wrong here? I've got to do this. Well, unlike some of my colleagues, apparently, I pay attention to academia at large, not just my immediate environment. You know, I'm reading about what's happening at these other universities, and it's strangely, it's all trickling down from the Ivies and other elites into the general uh, population of universities, and I'm just seeing this craziness going on, right? I mean, I mean, the stories are myriad. I can't even begin to, you know, enumerate them. But uh, and then I, there was a cancellation of uh, Milo Yiannopoulos at at NYU. Uh, there was the institution of a bias reporting line. So I see the encroachment of this SJW ideology into NYU, and I start to get nervous. Uh, frankly, uh, the bias reporting line uh, disturbs me greatly because. To me, this turns the university into what I, you know, what uh, Jeremy Bentham called a panopticon, you know, an all seeing, all observing super surveillance system. And uh, that's that's what uh, I I saw this as. And I wanted to say something against it because I don't think it's it's first of all, it has nothing to do with undoing biases or undermining or overthrowing uh, prejudice or racism or sexism or homophobia or transphobia. No, it, it will do nothing of the sort. This is simply a way of locating and controlling individuals who may be aberrant and then punishing them and making the whole system feel better about itself that it's doing so, but it has no effect on racism at large. As a matter of fact, it produces its opposite. I've said this several times. The alt-right is really a reaction to this lunacy, and they're just producing what they exactly oppose. So So this next episode, next clip, he's going to talk about um, coming out as being against the Communist Party, as being the worst thing you could do. And um, how the old people who were supposedly on top are now at the bottom and have to endure the kicking and then grovel around for it. So I think that's an interesting perspective. Sphere. You used the phrase afraid to come out a little while ago, and it made me think on college campuses today, I don't think there's anybody who thinks. Good heavens, I can't reveal to anybody that I'm homosexual on this campus or I'll be shunned. You'll be celebrated and welcomed uh, like Caitlyn Jenner was the bravest person in the history of mankind for saying something that got the entire media, academic and political establishment all out in favor. Whereas somebody who disagrees is going to have his career ruined and be shunned. Right. I'm much more at risk uh, for being straight, white and male. I mean, there's no question about it. That's the endangered species. Okay, they have taken the so the so-called hierarchy and inverted it. Okay, such that the what the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And only it's an, an earthbound political hierarchy that's been inverted, such that the top, what they conceive to be the top, is now the bottom and must just sit there and be kicked. Okay, and must take it, you know, and not say anything back, and then drag themselves around in shame. That's the straight white male this is the demon this is the devil this is the ethical uh, abject if you will that which is thrown out uh so it's very curious uh that 
so-called the so-called I call it marginalized hegemony. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that is to say, those that are supposed to be on the margins are actually the hegemonic. Okay. So it's a very tricky thing. They're saying they're on the bottom in order to be on the top. Yeah. Okay. Now we're skipping to the next episode of Tom Woods Show, some 1200. So it's like 400 episodes later. Um, <clears throat> the guy has brought out his essay, Springtime for Snowflakes. And um, he's, uh, he's on a roll. And I skipped over much of the stuff they said. Um, we're trying to get to the interesting points, and now we're going to cover, again, the definition of postmodernism, poststructuralism. I think I actually clipped this guy in a later episode um, on my previous podcast. It very much sounds like him. <clears throat> well, let's see what he has to say, and he's going to try and define everything for us. I believe you say in the book that you attribute to Ginsburg, or at least he's one of the people you think whose ideas ultimately contributed to postmodernism. Oh, yeah. I, what, what I want you to do, actually, if we can abstract from your experience for a minute, I'd like you to explain, because you, you even say in here that Jordan Peterson doesn't quite get postmodernism right. You say that he sometimes calls it neo-Marxism, and it, it is anything but that. Right. So I'd like if, if can you explain for normal people these three things, postmodernism, yeah. post-structuralism, yeah. and critical theory. Okay, sure. Uh, let's start with critical theory, since chronologically it's the first of the three. Critical theory was founded by three neo-Marxists, okay, or basically by the Frankfurt School of Critical Theory, as they're called. Theodore Adorno, uh, Max Horkheimer, and uh, Herbert Mar Marcuse are the three major players there. And... Uh, it is a school of criticism that started to see culture as extremely influential and powerful because in their minds, the working class had effectively failed the mission of Marxism. And as such, they started to look for other explanations for why that was the case. Because according to Marxist rationality, this should not happen. It should not happen that the working classes actually are, are sort of uh, attached to the system. And that, in fact, especially in the United States, they seem to be very happy. <laughs> this is, you know, in the 50s and so forth, right? So they looked to culture and they started seeing culture as this dominating force that, you know, that was inculcating this uh, propaganda into workers and brainwashing them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They also initiated a critique of the Enlightenment, of Enlightenment rationality, which in my mind is the beginning of the postmodern turn towards this kind of critical and skeptical and anti-rationalist uh, eventuality that is really the beginning of postmodern theory. But they weren't postmodernists per se. They are neo-Marxists, and, uh, and they're neo-Marxists because they're no longer looking to the working class as the agent that will overthrow everything. They start looking for different constituencies and they start to look at identity politics as a possibility in the case of Marcusa. And he's really foundational for the new left, which starts to starts to cobble together different constituencies as the hope for overthrowing capitalism, because no longer do they see the working class as the agent that's capable or really interested in doing so. And that was really a blow to the whole Marxist enterprise. 
The problem is that most workers didn't want it. You know, <laughs> you know, they saw what happened. And this is American workers. They saw what was going on in the Soviet Union. They wanted no part of this. And that's just, they just couldn't figure this out. So they, they ascribed it to the power of culture to brainwash them. And a very influential essay called The Culture Industry, Enlightenment as Mass Deception, is a very key, pivotal text regarding this. That's their critical theorists, and they inaugurated two schools of thought, critical theory and media studies. So media studies from the very beginning is Marxist. Okay. Then you said uh, postmodernism. Postmodernism is a very large umbrella term and under which it contains several theories of postmodern theory. Uh, postmodern theory is not a consistent, uniform uh, set of beliefs or a systematic approach. Rather, it is a whole slew of sometimes self-contradictory uh, ideas. Uh, Post-structuralism uh, is one of them. But postmodern theory is characterized generally by a rejection of what they call master narratives, and that is uh, those types of systematic approaches that explain or pretend to explain all of history, like Marxism, for example. So it starts off as a rejection of Marxism. Secondly, it, is, uh, it has a focus on language, and this is where deconstruction comes in, and I'll, I can talk further about that. And third, it is highly relativistic. It's about relativism in general. It's, uh, it's against positions that say this is true, this is objective. So it's anti-objectivity and pro-relativity. That's, that's postmodernism in a nutshell. Post-structuralism is a school of thought or an approach, to be more precise, an approach that is fits well beneath the postmodern rubric. It is a postmodernist theory. And uh, post-structuralism is, wow, it is almost an unbelievably difficult uh, movement or approach to explain. Just generally, it, it's against structuralism, which structuralism tried to explain everything in terms of cultural, in terms of universals that went across cultures. Post-structuralism claims there are no universals at all. Everything is arbitrary. Everything is peculiar. Uh, history has no trends. Everything is merely a peculiar occurrence that's specific to itself. So they speak of things like historicity, which means a historical moment having its own peculiar specificity. It is uh, focused on language. It thinks that language, for example, is utterly arbitrary and has no relationship to what it signifies. This is a very big point because it accounts for the skepticism it has about attaining knowledge, in particular scientific knowledge. Science is very much critiqued because it's all based on language, and language has no necessary connection to what it refers to. So that's those three in a nutshell. All right. Well, I that was a yeoman's effort there because that was a difficult assignment I gave you. Now, let me run by you something somebody in – I have a private Facebook group, something somebody – Okay, so here we go. We're getting into, um, we're getting back to Gödel and the liar's paradox, where he's saying postmodern theory says that there is no absolute truth, but it's self-referential because it itself is saying absolutely true 
that there is no absolute truth. So it's actually going to refute itself, he says, creating a paradox. And I think we're going to see these paradoxes at the core of many things. <clears throat> and we're going to have to look out for them. Because when you get to the end, then you're going to refute everything. And then you're going to go back, and you're going to refute that. And you can just continue back and forth until the end of your life, rejecting and then re-rejecting the truth. So that's interesting. So this is why I say the truth is not so simple and that it's hard to know. But even that is not so simple. So it's, it's, it's hard to, uh, to find a place to stand on, really. The slippery slope, I agree. Okay, well, let's play it. Because what happens is you lead, postmodernism leads to an utter fragmentation such that there are no truth claims that can be made whatsoever because everybody has their own peculiar positionality and their own truth. And therefore, no truth trumps any other truth, and therefore there is no truth. And that and the other thing is it's a self-refuting statement that there are no credible master narratives because they're meta narratives because postmodernism is a meta narrative. <laughs> it's a meta narrative that says there are no meta narratives. You know, so it's self-refuting. But the bigger problem is not that logical self-refutation. The bigger problem is the endless fragmentation of standpoints such that we can't make claims about anything in the end. There's no truth claims that can be made which aren't relativized by virtue of being standing uh, next to somebody else's truth claim. And this leads to complete, utter fragmentation and eventually what I call epistemological solipsism. Okay, so now he's going to say that the actual origin of postmodernism comes from the failure of the student revolution in France as a rebuttal of Marxism. Marxism. This is very little known, but there's a huge contingent of Marxists that despise postmodern theory, and they totally eschew it, and they totally condemn it. Uh, I was one of those. So it's not, it's not uh, as if I was breaking with everything at once. I had already broken with things like postmodern theory. Um, well, so, what, what is Marxism if not a meta-narrative? Right, exactly. And, and postmodern theory was born as a philosophical explanation for the failure of Marxism in the 1968 student rebellion in France. This is what's very little known, that in fact, postmodern theory was born as a result. It's the answer, philosophical rebuttal, if you will, to the Marxist explanation for society. Okay, this will be the last clip for today. This is a short episode, but I think this guy's worth listening to. We should continue. But my walk's over, and um, basically he's turned from communist to libertarian. But I'm curious to know about where you would place yourself today. Well, I do place myself as a cultural, social, and somewhat economic libertarian. I think it's the only, it's the only thing that, we, that, that preserves individual rights, and there are no other kind of rights. 
I don't believe in group rights because groups always override individual rights and therefore nobody has any rights, really. Uh, the only thing that protects individual rights is libertarianism as a social, cultural, and even economic movement. Uh, nothing else comes close. Nothing else can ensure it. And I think that uh, the United States, where we are today, is on the verge of throwing away the best experiment that we've ever had in history for ensuring such rights. Now, listen to what you're saying, Michael Rechtenwald. Listen to yourself saying those words. Those are words that would have come out of your mouth over your dead body. 